Just as a disclaimer, we want you to know that some of the movies that we will be reviewing were shot in a different time and era where people of race and sex were not treated equally. We understand this and hope you do too. The movies or anything that happened on the sets are not the views of this podcast or what this show is intended to be all about. Exactly. And we want to give due diligence in presenting the movie and not the views of the cast or directors or anyone involved. But we also feel it's necessary to let the audience know some of the background information to get a feel for what was happening at the time of shooting the film. Again, we hope you understand that we do not agree with everything that went on and we just want to give out the information. And with that being said, hope you enjoy the show. dimension beyond that which is known to man it is a dimension as vast as space and as timeless as infinity it is the middle ground between light and shadow between science and superstition and it lies between the pit of man's fears and the summit of his knowledge this is the dimension of imagination it is an area which we call the twilight zone Infantry Platoon, U.S. Army, Philippine Islands, 1945. These are the faces of the young men who fight. As if some omniscient painter had mixed a tube of oils that were at one time earth brown, dust gray, blood red, beard black, and fear yellow white. And these men were the models. For this is the province of combat. And these are the faces of war. Alright guys, welcome back to the Tragedy of Cinema Presents the Twilight Zone series. I hope everybody had a great Christmas and a Happy New Year. Um, we are all glad that 2020 is now gone and this is now 2021 where there are endless possibilities. I'm your host Jimbo and yes, once again I'm joined by the famous 80s E. 80s, how you doing? What's up everybody? Greetings from the 5th Dimension. Glad to be back and uh, enjoying... A couple of episodes together. It's a good time. So so a little behind the scenes here. Um, about, I don't know, two hours ago, I said, hey, guess what? I'm getting ready to sit down and record some Twilight Zone episodes with ADZ. And we are just now recording like two and a half hours later because of the audio issues. It's been so long that we had to resync everything back up where we were coming through each other's microphones and everything. So hopefully we got it all worked out. And this goes smoothly because this is our second time recording this episode. The first time we recorded, it was just so bad audio-wise, picking up interference and everything. But I think, I think, and I hope we finally got all this worked out. Exactly. It has been a long journey, but hopefully you don't, you don't it is coming to an end and we can see the light at the end of the tunnel. But uh, yeah, you don't look you don't look so thrilled there. No, no. Just as a, on a <laughs> side so note, confident. Uh, on a side note, uh, we just enjoy this so much. I mean, we would 
I mean, if it was just us two talking and kicking back and we could, we could do this for hours anyway. So it's really not a, it's really a labor of love. It's not really a problem. So we, we enjoy this so much. No, no, no. We enjoy it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we enjoy it. We talk about all kinds of older movies. We'll shoot each other clips or, Hey, have you seen this movie? Or, Hey, have you seen this movie? Oh, look what I added to my account. Look at this. You know, uh, we were talking about the infamous Dick Tracy movie. We were just talking about that. How, how long it's been since we've seen that movie. And guess what? I got it and we watched it. So yeah, absolutely. Um, but here we are. Here we are. Back to the uh, Twilight Zone series. Ep- this is our 19th one, Eric. That's, 19. Wow. I can't believe uh, we've gotten this far. We actually, after our long hiatus, we, we need to dig dig in and get back to back to work, apparently. But uh, I'll go ahead with the title. Do you rem- do you re- Go ahead. Do you remember what episode you actually jumped in and started? Because I don't think you were here for the first I wasn't. episode. Do you remember when you jumped in? Uh, I, it might have been it's episode three or four, maybe. I, I don't know offhand. It was somewhere in there. One through probably, I probably wasn't around one through five, but I don't know. I jumped in there early somewhere. All right, let's take this away. Let's get this show on the road. All right, well, we are at episode number 19, as Jimbo alluded to. This is the uh, Purple Testament is the uh, title of this particular episode. It was in season one, um, obviously, and it was directed by Richard L. Bear. Now, Richard L. Bear, Bear excuse me, will be someone that we will see uh, many more times as we progress through the uh, the season and the series as a whole. Uh, this particular episode was written by Rod Serling. This has a lot of Rod Serling's uh, fingerprints all over it, obviously. Uh, a lot of the story was taken out of his own uh, personal experience uh, and out of World War II. Uh, and then I've got some featured music here. Uh, Lucienne Morwack, Lud uh, Gluskin, um, just for those of you who might be interested. The first original air date was on February 12th, 1960. And uh, Jimbo, do you want to go ahead and uh, take the cast? Do you have that in front of you? Sure, sure. There are uh, some favorite people, uh, favorite famous people in this uh, episode. Uh, probably the most famous is Dick York, who is famous for his role in Bewitched. Um, he was played, uh, or he played Captain Phil Riker. Um, then we have William Reynolds, who played Lieutenant Fitzgerald, who does an outstanding job in this episode. Um, really well done. Uh, we have William Phipps. Um, he is most famous. He plays the sergeant. He's most famous for the 1950s Disney's Cinderella, where he voiced Prince Charming. We had Barney Phillips. Uh, he played Captain E.L. Gunther. Um, he was in I Was a Teenage Werewolf, uh, where he played Detective Donovan. Uh, then you had S. John Lawner. Uh, he was the lieutenant colonel. Uh, he was also in I Was a Teenage Werewolf. Uh, and he played Bill Logan. Then you had Michael Vandiver. Um, he was Mad Dog from Batman, the 1966 television show, and he plays Smitty in this episode. You had Paul Mazursky, who was the orderly. You had Mark Cavell, uh, who was the freeman. Warren Oates, who was the Jeep driver at the end. <laughs> uh, and you had Ron Masick, who was the harmonica man. My favorite man, the harmonica man. He does a great job on the harmonica at the end of this episode. <laughs> uh, so, Eric, let's go ahead and start. Uh, let me give you the synopsis real quick, and then we'll go ahead and start talking step-by-step uh, step through this episode. The synopsis is there is a soldier who can tell who is going to die just by looking at their face and noticing a shining glow on it. All right. So the opening scene is a a battlefield scene, and um, 
I'm not exactly sure if this is like uh, maybe some stock footage that was taken from uh, an earlier movie. Uh, doesn't really the, the camera doesn't really like zoom in on any of the the characters in our episode per se to really kind of trace an outline of their face or anything to see if it's actually them. But then we quickly move to the second scene, which is all of the soldiers from this infantry um, platoon uh, says platoon U S army, 1945 in the Philippine islands. Uh, They return from battle. And then um, as the Jeeps sort of roll into camp, we hear Rod Serling's narration sort of comes in. That, That is one distinction between season one and season two. Season one, usually, I think almost exclusively, Rod Serling is off camera giving his narration and, and monologues, but as uh, well, we'll get there eventually, but in season two, he he's in the scenes. He's planted a lot of times uh, uniquely in the scenes as, you know, as the story progresses. But um, so we come um, to the scene and the soldiers, um, what's, by the way, his, his introductory monologue is, is really quite poetic. And then, you know, at the end of his monologue, uh, we zoom in on one particular soldier's face and uh, they the actors, even the extended actors really capture the, the war torn faces. I mean, it's it, it, they did a really good job of expressing on their faces, you know, what war looks like and the toll that it takes. And I think that was something that uh, Rod really wanted to express as he wrote this particular episode, because obviously having gone through World War II himself, he understood everything there there really was when it comes to, to battle and war and how it just, I mean, psychologically, it takes a toll on you physically and all the different aspects. I think he really kind of captured in this episode, which made it one of my one of my favorites, I know, going forward. But um, Jimbo, did, did you have anything you wanted to add? Well, um, Rod Serling did serve in the U.S. Army's, uh, what was it, the uh, 511th Parachute Infantry Regiment. Um, he was in the 11th Airborne Division uh, during the liberation of the Philippines, where this episode is actually set. So I thought that was, he's taking something from his own life, and he made it all about uh, the place because he was familiar with it. And I think that's why it comes off so well, that because he was there. Yep, yep, for sure. Um, as you progress along in the episode, um we we meet our we meet the Dick York character who is um, Captain Phil Riker, and uh, he has a conversation with the I, I don't even know if he's named and is this William Phipps the sergeant? I'm not even for sure, but um, they initially meet and then we meet the second well second most important well really maybe you could say the the lead character you might even say that. Uh, Dick York is like a secondary character, but we meet Lieutenant Fitzgerald, who is the person who has this unique ability to be able to, I don't, I don't know, what would you call the ability, a foreshadowing of someone's death maybe, and he's able to d- determine right. someone's uh, death. You could almost say he's like a, uh, a, like, uh, like a fortune. Yeah, player, he's, clair- he's clairvoyant way. maybe clairvoyant. or something like that. He's able to... Uh, see someone's demise happen ahead of ahead of time i guess and so uh riker and fitzgerald they have a conversation they go back to to riker's tent you know and they uh they're uh throwing back some some alcohol after a a tough day on the battlefield and that's when we discover that's when uh, fitzgerald 
uh, sort of reveals to Riker that he has this ability. And he tells, uh, he explains that he had written down uh, the four guys that died in the, the battle on that day, the current day. He explained that he had written those gentlemen's names down, those soldiers' names, the day before. And he goes on and explains this uh, unique ability, I guess you could say, to Riker. And one of the, the names that was written on the piece of paper was the last name Levy. And that's an interesting name because that was actually uh, the name of someone who served with uh, Rod Serling actually in uh, World War II. And the story behind Marvin Levy, who was an actual person, was that uh, he actually um, he was he was good friends with Serling. And one day I think they were talking back and forth. I think it was like on a beach or something like that. And Levy was delivering this comic monologue for the platoon. I guess Levy was kind of a jokester or whatever. And they were kind of under a palm tree and overhead uh, planes were passing by and they were dropping crates of supplies. And it just so happened that one of those crates came crashing down and killed Levy instantly while he was, you know, talking to the rest of the platoon. And so that really, really stuck with uh, Serling. Uh, down through the years, and it was something that he felt strongly enough that he wanted to include and pay homage to the guy, maybe, uh, in this particular episode. So I thought that was an interesting piece of trivia. Jimbo, did you have any comments? No? No. Nope. Okay. Didn't find you. Okay, I just, I just wanted to make sure you didn't want to have anything to add there. But um, So we're back to the episode. Um, Serling and... Uh, uh, sorry, not Sterling, but Riker, excuse me, Riker and Fitzgerald are uh, still having this conversation. And then what a good soldier would do when it comes to um, Phil Riker, he goes and he talks to the, he instantly wants to go and talk to the medical staff about, um, about Fitzgerald because Fitzgerald is, he feels like he's having maybe a mental breakdown. Maybe it's exhaustion. You know, he maybe he's just seeing things out there uh, on the battlefield, and he's just not in his right state of mind, maybe. And so he goes and talks to uh, Gunther, Lieutenant Colonel Gunther, and he's like the yeah, – by the way, uh, you'll see uh, John Launer. He, uh, he, he is in multiple episodes in the Twilight Zone again, so you, you'll see him in, down the line in further episodes. Um, so, you know, they talk and, you know, Riker ex- explains his concern. And meanwhile, Fitzgerald, we, we switch scenes and Fitzgerald is, uh, he's at the bedside of one of uh, his soldiers in his platoon. I think his name's like Smitty. And so Smitty's in the bed and he's gotten injured in this previous battle. And as they're having a conversation, Smitty's head starts to glow and, you know, um, Fitzgerald, you know, obviously has this premonition again that he's going to die, that Smitty's going to die. And then do you know what happens? Are you watching alongside what happens? Well, but uh, I want to take a step back. Sure. When he was uh, when when Dick York, uh, the character, went in and talked to the head guy, um, he was basically bringing up issues because he said, look, this guy is not all there. You know, he's, he's either fatigued or something like that. And the guy's like, look, I pulled up his records. He's never been wounded. You know, he's never had any kind of fatigue. He's like the perfect soldier. 
Um, so I thought that was really interesting to see how they were, you know, uh, he was trying to say, get him help if he needed help, but the guy's like, look, he's never had any of this stuff. So, um, so when he's sitting there talking to that guy and uh, he dies, or when he looks at him, his face closed, the guy, uh, Fitz, Fitz passes yep. out. <laughs> you know, I mean, he, the camera angle, he's like, he just falls down. And the classic, you know, he opens his eyes, it's all blurry, and it's the guy. And that's when he finds out that he's dead, just like that. Mm-hmm. So then you see Fitz walking down, uh, down the hall, and this is where he starts having these really crazy conversations with some of his fellow uh, soldiers. Yeah, um, Fitz comes down the stair. By the way, this this particular stairwell, not that it's very famous. Yeah, it's going to be used in a lot of uh, forthcoming episodes. I think they use that prop over uh, several episodes. Um, but Fitz is obviously visibly he's upset. And, and just let me back up by by way of there was like a technical way that they made that glow. I guess they did like a freeze frame of the person's face or head this might be interesting to some people maybe not but and then they overexposed the film and that's how they made that glowing because i mean remember we're in black and white so you know there the technical aspects were probably pretty primitive back in those days and what they could do but this was kind of a neat little way they overexposed the film and that's what caused um the glowing around the head if if anybody's interested but so Fitz is obviously upset. He he goes and and now he has an exchange with uh, uh, the gun, uh, Captain E. L. Gunther. Sorry, had a brain freeze there. So Gunther and him have a face to face conversation, and you know he recommends that uh, he recommends that. Um, Fitzgerald takes like two weeks off, kind of like a mini big or take a break, try to hit reset. And, you know, Fitz is really upset and he, you know, and he, you know, fires back and he basically says, you you don't understand, you know, you don't understand why I'm having these things. You're just guessing. And, you know, they kind of get into a heated discussion in which, you know, Fitz leaves and he's angry. And yeah, I really go ahead. I really like the part where he's he's yelling at him right here. And he's like, look, he's like, you walk 25 miles in your boots and you don't get a blister. He said, that's that's not normal. Yeah. He said, and he said something else along those uh, something else crazy like that. He's like, that's not normal either. Yeah. He said, so don't tell me that this is normal that I'm doing this. Right. So this is the next scene is we're back in the uh, inside the tent. And this is kind of the meat of the episode, because as they're on another mission, the the, the, the next mission um, that Riker is uh, in charge of, they're going to go and secure like a bridge or something. And so Riker's as he's given orders, uh, Fitzgerald notices that Riker's head glows, which, is, again, is the clairvoyant way of like. Riker is going to die in this next particular um, skirmish that they're going to be in. Yeah. Yeah. And so they kind of argue back and forth, you know, uh, you know, obviously Riker tries to say, look, these are just coincidences. I'm not going to die. But anyway, through the course of the conversation, Riker basically takes off his wedding ring and he leaves some pictures uh, like maybe his wallet or something. He leaves pictures of his kids and his wife uh, there back at the tent in case something were to happen just to maybe sort of ease 
um, Fitzgerald's mind or to prove that he's wrong. I also think, I, I also think that he thinks that maybe this guy is for real. Maybe he really can tell. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think this is the point where, because if you look at his face, it's not like, hey, I'm just going to do this out of the kindness of my heart in case something happens. It's like, well, maybe what if is what if and what if he's right? right. Yeah, know, I want my I want my wife and family to have my heirlooms, you know, and my pictures and all that, and let them know that I was thinking about them at the end. Um, because there's, you know, there's coincidences, but when it happens more than once, it's not a coincidence anymore. Here's the million dollar question, and this is sort of a rabbit trail side note, but. Even though he, my, this question was posed as I was reading, and then like some other things, like other podcasts I listen to. But anyway, even though he sees the glowing head or whatever, is it like inevitable? Like, does that mean it's set in stone? Or like, say, what I mean is, say um, Riker decides that he wasn't going to go on that mission. Say, you know. Fitzgerald said, "All right, well, I've seen it. You're going to die." But then he decides, "Well, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to end around it. I'm going to stay in the tent. And I'm not going to go." Would he be spared? Actually, I brought this up the first time we recorded. Did you? Um, and it was at the end of the episode. Okay. Um, and my 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 thing was, um, if if he wouldn't have went, would a sniper have taken him out, right, or something? Because he stayed at the camp. Yeah, you know what I mean. Um, same thing later on in the episode. I'm not going to get to it. Yeah, yet, but when that certain change <laughs> yeah. event happens at the end, yeah. would it have mattered if he would if they would have played that situation out different? Even though they both had the glow on their face, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. If he didn't decide to go with that guy and went the other way, would they have both died anyway? Yeah, that you know what I mean. Yeah, that's. Is there a way to prevent? Is there a way to prevent the glow? Obviously, uh, Fitzgerald thinks so because he's like, I can't let you go on this mission. But there's nothing that says if you go on this mission or you don't go on this mission, either way is the way you're going to go. Yeah, that, that was my question. Is it set in stone? Like once he sees the glow on the face and that that sort of catapults us to the next scene where all the soldiers are, you know, prepping to go to battle and to, to secure this bridge. And they're all standing around and they all ask Fitzgerald, is it me? Is it me? Am I going to make it? Am I going to, you know, one by one, they come up to him and they ask him, do you see the glow on my face? You know, because it almost seems like. Even the the company has accepted, like, if he sees the glow on your face, it's, like, inevitable that death is going to come to you. Like, it's inescapable, I guess. Well, let me ask you a question. When they return here, um, I don't remember them saying this. I just watched this before we started recording. Did anybody else die on this mission besides the uh, Riker? You know, I don't think so. I think Riker was the only one. I think he was the only casualty. I mean, I don't remember. That's what I'm saying. And here's a, here's another question I have for you. He saw the glow when they were in the tent together, right? Mm-hmm. So at the end, when the when the one guy pulls him, he's like, "Hey, you got this ability. Is it this? Is this? We hear you can see." And he pans over everybody again. Mm-hmm. He gets to he gets to Riker, and it's not glowing. Mm-hmm. So why isn't it not still glowing? Oh, I don't know. That's another good question. Maybe it only happens once. I don't know. Maybe he only gets that clairvoyance once, and then that's it. I don't know. That's that's a good question. So yeah, yeah you alluded to this part where they're they're returning from the mission, and then this guy, uh, I don't even remember his name. He he makes a really small part. He's like a general, maybe. He comes in and asks about the mission. Uh, he's a lieutenant, I think. 
And then Fitzgerald has to, you know, you know, give the casualty count. I think you are right, Jimbo. I think there was only uh, Riker was the only one that died. And then the uh, the doctor comes, Gunther. Yeah, he the said, doctor comes he says in. We lost one. Go ahead. He said we lost one man. Okay, that's what he said. Yeah. So, um, so Riker comes to find out from the the medical doctor. Uh, E.L. Gunther that he's been reassigned or something? Is that what happens here? And so he's packing well, He's packing up all of his gear. Go ahead. But I think you're missing an important part. Okay. Back when he's talking to the general or whatever and he tells him that, hey, you, the only thing you guys came under was sniper fire. And he's like, yeah, we only lost one man. This is when the he looks down and he sees that paper or the pictures of uh, yeah. the kids and the wedding ring and all that. And, and something, once the other guy leaves... Uh, Fitzgerald actually pulls out the dog tags right. of Riker and sets them there in the pile. So I thought that was a really, really nice uh, homage to his former commander or whatever. Yep. Um, so uh, Fitzgerald is packing up all of his gear and he encounters the, the Jeep driver, I think. Well, before that, let me back up. This is an important part. As he's packing up his shaving kit and his mirror that's on like a tripod, he sees a glowing face uh, in his reflection. It's him. He's the glowing face this time. So obviously we can deduce that he's not going to make it to wherever he's going. But it's like he's – well, he knocks the mirror onto the ground and it cracks into a bunch of pieces. And then he sees his reflection in in the pieces of the fragments of the mirror that are lying on the ground. But, you know, it's weird. Like, Fitzgerald almost seems like he's accepted. You know, it's almost like a cruel irony or something, you know, that he's going to die in this way. And he knows his that he knows his own death. And it's almost like he kind of accepts it um, in some regard. Right. But I think I think more than that is when he, when the when the uh, mirror shatters on the ground and there's three pieces mm-hmm. You see in his eyes, I think it's a torment for him. I don't think he wants to carry this burden anymore. He can't live with himself, basically. And I think that's why he accepts it. He doesn't want the burden of looking in people's faces and telling them this. Yeah. You know, the news that, hey, you're, you're next. Yeah. You're not going to make it. And then he's like, he's like, well, I'm going to just accept my fate because I don't want to deal with this anymore. Yeah, that's a good point. I never thought of it that way. That That's a good point. Uh, and then maybe that's why he's so accepting. He doesn't try to fight it. You know, he just – and then – well, obviously, we come to the next scene, and he looks to the Jeep driver, and the Jeep driver's face obviously has a glow on it as well. And then the Jeep driver makes a comment like, well, it's only like four miles down the road or something. We should be there in X amount of time. And, uh, you know, Riker, or Fitzgerald says, no, no, it's it's not going to happen in essence. I'm paraphrasing, but. Right. And and something else, I don't know if you caught this, but when uh, when Fitzgerald's, uh, you know, he was sent over there to pack up all of the stuff, he doesn't take anything with him except his helmet. Once he once he knows that he's the one, okay. he just puts that helmet on and he gets in the truck. Yeah. He doesn't pack anything up with him. Yeah, he's not going to need yeah. it. You know what I mean? And I thought that was a really cool part too. Uh, then we come to we're reaching the end of the episode, and uh, I don't I can't remember this gentleman's name. Uh, well, the Jeep driver was Warren Oates, and then you mentioned this earlier, but Ron Mass Massick is the harmonica player, and he has a conversation with uh, one of the uh, officers as the Jeep departs. 
And as he's playing really well on the harmonica, this uh, nice little tune, we hear an explosion. <laughs> we hear an explosion in the background, and that leads us to believe that that was the Jeep that uh, exploded on their way that was carrying Lieutenant Fitzgerald and the Jeep driver. Uh, they are. It was. Thunder. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's thunder. Right. That's I could I couldn't remember what they thought it might be. That oh, was that thunder. Yeah, but it wasn't thunder. Yeah. We all know that it was an explosion and that the the Jeep has you know done for along with the two occupants inside. But Oh, uh, anything else? Oh, I got a little bit uh here on um, had a little bit here on Dick York. Um, just a little background. Do you, do you want to go over that a little bit? Well, just just a quick little uh, bit yeah, of me, Dick York. Me, um, Did you have anything uh, trivia wise uh, before, you wanted to add? Before we get this, let me. Yeah, let me let me throw some of this other trivia out here. Um, and I don't know if you caught that, but when Rod Sterling starts his final thing, talking about the Purple Testament, and all that. Yes. It fades back to the three broken pieces on the ground. Oh. Of the glass. I didn't catch that. Yeah, check that out while I'm reading this other stuff. I thought that was pretty good. So, um, one thing is, the night of the planned air date, a plane carrying Richard Bear and William Reynolds crashed in the Caribbean Sea, injuring both, not seriously though, um, is believed that during their swim to land, they discussed the episode that night and Bear requested Reynolds not to look at him. He later admitted that he commended Buck Houghton's decision to reschedule rather than use the incident for publicity. So they could have really milked that for the publicity for this episode. Yeah, that was a crazy story. Uh, the- <laughs> Right, the title is taken from Richard II, Act Three, Scene Three. He has come to open the Purple Testament of Bleeding War. However, Rod Serling incorrectly claims in his narration that the line comes from Richard III, when it was actually Richard II. And that opening line, that he, or the closing line that he leaves, I, I'm still trying to figure out what he is to come to open the Purple Testament of Bleeding War. What that actually means. I'm no Shakespeare we expert, will, but we will. <laughs> Let's talk about that at the end. I got a couple other things that we'll get okay. to at the end. Um, so uh, Dean Stockwell was the initial choice for Lieutenant Fitzgerald, but had to turn it down due to a schedule conflict. He eventually appeared in the Twilight Zone, A Quality of Mercy in 1961, which has a similar setting as well as another William Shakespeare-based title. Um, Dick York says, none of us is a mind reader. York later stars in the Twilight Zone, A Penny for Your Thoughts, in 1961, in which his character gains telepathy. That's a good one. Uh, this episode is takes place in the Philippines in January 1945. Uh, near the end, a wounded soldier plays uh, the harmonica. The tune is from Dvorak's Symphony Number no. 9, From the New World, a second movement, a passage that is sometimes sung as Going Home, um, which I thought was really interesting that they're playing Going Home and they end up dying. I thought that was very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, Captain Riker and uh, Lieutenant Fitzgerald are wearing their insignia. Officers serving on the Pacific Front made a point not to wear this because it identified them as high-priority targets for the Japanese snipers. So they wouldn't just be proudly wearing those out there because a sniper would take them out. So here we go. Let's talk about the Purple Testament, if you will. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Give it to me. Here's 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 what I came up with. Purple... Uh, the color purple usually always signifies uh, dignitaries, kings, royalty. Okay, um, most leaders um, are also the ones who declare wars. It doesn't come from just the people. It's it's mostly from the leaders. Um. So, 
purple, we know, um, in the internal of your uh, the internal of your body, when the blood is um, your blood's really purple, if you will, um, before the oxygen makes it red. Some people say it's blue, but it's more purplish than it is. Okay, so my question is. When he says, um, "What was this? He, uh, what's that? Give me that thing again about the bleeding heart." Uh, what's it say? The line is, "He is come to open the purple testament of bleeding war." Okay, testament. Testament is 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 mainly used in the Bible. It's basically just an account. Yeah. Okay. Um, so when they say that he has come to open uh, the testament of the bleeding war, whatever whatever it was. Um, my thing is, he from the from the very opening, Fitzgerald, um, he had this problem, and they were at war anyway, and the only way to testify was to see those vis uh, those visions uh, of the faces, and he knew that they were going to die, so he was recording this stuff if he was a testament. Um, Man, I, I got to write that that quote down because it's it's bugging me now. <laughs> my, my mind went to a whole other different place. Yeah. Oh, here it is. He has, he has come to open the purple testament of bleeding war. So, so when he says he, is he talking about Fitzgerald? Yeah. Is he talking about God? Yeah. Is he talking about um, maybe the government? Um. Yeah, I just I, I don't know it, it. It is from Shakespeare. We know this, right? Uh, but as far as an explanation, you can go online and you can search well, this quote out. And I went down that rabbit hole one time <laughs> for a couple hours, yeah. and I still came out not knowing a thing about it. <laughs> that's kind of you know what I mean. That's kind of uh, where I'm at with the whole thing. It's like Shakespeare on its own is hard I, enough I, to try to dig through and to pull out all the the meanings and symbolisms and all of that, let alone, and he's obviously Serling is, he's applying it to his particular screenplay that he's, or, you know, teleplay that he's writing in this episode. So yeah, the, the, the trouble comes into when you're trying to marry those two together. Like how does Richard II fit into this episode? Obviously he thought enough of it to add it as a tagline in his monologue. So yeah, that's, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's the difficulty. But he must not have thought too much about it because it actually came from Richard the Third, not Richard the yeah. Second. So yeah. he must not have liked it too much. But my thing is, I think all in all, it's probably just a a verse to fit into William Shakespeare's poetry. I yeah, mean, that's what I'm going to go with. It was just, it was just a cool. Thing. Yeah, maybe just you know a I mean? cool tagline that he, um, it was a throwaway line that he just decided to throw in the episode. Yeah, it's totally meaningless, but yet here we are. Some. 40 years later, 50 years later, still talking about trying to decipher it. Yeah, yeah. So if you want to go ahead and throw out some stuff, uh, you said Dick York, right? Yeah, just real quick. Um, obviously, I think you mentioned this early. Wow, we're 32 minutes already. And you mentioned earlier that he's most notably uh, remembered uh, uh, for his role as Dick York, or as Dick York, as <laughs> Darren. Uh, yeah, Darren and Bewitched. Yeah, sorry about that. And uh, he actually had to leave the show. There were two Darrens, obviously Dick York and Dick Sargent. Dick Sargent took Dick York's place in later years, but uh, he actually injured his back, and that's the reason why he had to leave the popular series Bewitched. And it happened on the set of the film They Came to Cadora. Um, 
Dick was seriously injured during a railroad handcar scene. He and Gary Cooper were propelling a handcar down a railroad track with the other men when he accidentally lifted up on the mechanism with uh, without his comrade's help, and he wrenched his back, tearing muscles along the right side of his back, and for him it was the beginning of the end. Uh, he later grew addicted to painkillers and struggled, struggled valiantly, excuse me, valiantly, can't get that word out, for another decade before retiring in 1969. I guess it was a problem that he never really addressed, and he just kind of, you know, went on with life and never really got his back looked at, and it ended up costing him uh, quite severely. And then, like, in, in 1976, he basically was impoverished, and he was on welfare for a time in the mid-'70s. So here's this, you know, great actor of the, you know, 50s and 60s, and it's just, you know, and a penny for your thoughts. That's another – we're going to get to that episode, but he plays a brilliant part in that particular uh, Twilight Zone episode. But – uh yeah, just just little side notes about Dick York. I think he was a really great actor, which a lot of these guys that come through the Twilight Zone are great in their own right, but actually experienced a certain level of success in other television shows. But it was just a, a shame that his maybe his acting career might have gotten cut shorter than what it was uh, simply just because he didn't go get checked out after that movie. But anyway. So, Eric, um, all along we have been ranking these um, as where you place them in your your, your top five. If, if you liked the episode, you didn't like the episode, I'll let you start because I know we have difference of opinion on this episode. Do we? <laughs> your face right. Do we? Your face right now says no. Um, so go ahead, Eric. Take it away. I, you know, it's been so long since we've done an episode. It's hard to remember where the rank. I think time enough at last. Obviously, that's one that's going to rank right up near the top. Uh, in season one, if we're just doing by seasons, if season one is standalone, I think so far time enough at last. Uh, yeah, it's still up. This one, I, I you said we're going to disagree. I, I don't know. Man, it just seems like my mind's a little fuzzy. I, I would say this because of the – here's my reasoning – because of how personal it was to the real life of Rod Serling, I think you have to give it some credence. It has to be near the top or maybe in the top five just because the story paralleled his own life. And so much of himself was obviously poured into this episode. That's why I would rank it higher than others. Um, so, yeah, that's my best explanation. Season two, we talked about this before. Um, fear not, but... These season two is going to take quite a, in my opinion, it's going to take quite a bit of a drop off, but we'll get there at a later date. But season one's awesome so far. Okay, I'm going to I'm going to disagree with you. Uh, okay, and here's why. Number one, this is a TV show. Nobody knows that this was based on Dick Dick or uh, sorry on uh, Rod Serling's life when they're watching this. True. So why are you going to give? Why are you going to put it up there if you didn't know it was about his life? Would you have put it up there that high? Because you just said the reason I'm doing this is because I know the background and why it was placed up. Honestly, coming in cold, probably not. I probably wouldn't rank it up right. there. Uh, it's a cool, nice little twist in the in the the clairvoyant uh, twist, and you know all of that. Uh, probably not. If I didn't know a lot of the background, I probably wouldn't rank it as high. Right. Was it a good episode? Sure. It was. It was. It was okay episode. You know, it was the classic Twilight Zone. You know what I mean. Um, 
But as far as the classic Twilight Zone twist, I don't think there was really a twist. You you could see where this was going to go right from the start. Um, so that's where I that's where I think I had a problem with it. Um, and not that it was bad. It was just not one of my favorites. I'm telling you. I'm telling you, though, compared to some season two episodes, this thing is a gold. I, this thing is television I remember, gold. I remember what <laughs> – I know what one of your favorite one was. It was one of – with what was it? The airplane pilot that disappeared from in, in the clouds and came back. Yeah, well, I changed my mind on that one. I, yeah. I, <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh. oh. <laughs> So I so thank you. I was right on that. Yeah, one too. that that one's uh, <laughs> fallen in rankings in recent days. Yeah, but but that's why I like that's why I like doing this podcast because sometimes you bring up some points that I hadn't noticed, and sometimes I bring up points that you hadn't noticed when you first watched it. Like, oh, this was a great episode, and then you watch it again because you didn't get the recording right. <laughs> You're like, maybe it wasn't as good as I thought it was. Good uh, point. So there you have it. That that is the Purple Testament episode nineteen. Um, Depending on how late this is, uh, when we get this all edited and everything, uh, we may be doing another one right now. Um, we're going to talk that over. There will be episode twenty, Elegy. Um, we got one of the most famous television doctors on it in it yeah, all time. Yeah. From Little House on the Prairie, Doc Baker. Uh, so, Eric, you got any final thoughts on this episode before we wrap? Uh, just wanted to slip maybe something. I thought maybe this might be an idea, and hopefully, I'm not coming at you out of left field, but. If any of our listeners out there, if, you know, obviously we're going to miss things that you might notice. If you want to send us an MP3 audio and send it to the tragedy of cinema at gmail.com, that would be awesome way for you to interact with us. Cause I mean, we just love doing it. We, we, we could sit and talk back and forth like this for hours, you know, cause we enjoy it, but we want to know what you think. And one cool way maybe to send your feedback is to either send us an MP3 clip like uh, we've done in like Jimbo, you've done in other episodes, uh, movie episodes. Uh, yeah, it was the, the Lost Boys. Yeah, the Lost Boys. <laughs> so, or send us an email right. or anything like that because we, we'd love to have the, the feedback and uh, we really enjoy doing it. And uh, hopefully you enjoy it too. Uh, you know, like I've said before, we, we just enjoy doing this kind of stuff. And hopefully uh, an overflow of that would be that you enjoy listening as well. And that's that's our aim here as we go through these episodes. And I think for all you Muppet fans, eventually when me and Eric retire, we're going to be like Statler and Waldorf that set up in the balcony <laughs> and just make fun of people. And that's what we're going to be doing about TV shows. You know, they're just some of my favorite people. So, but we've rattled on long enough. It's good to be back. Hopefully we can get back on a schedule where we're releasing these at least once a week, uh, maybe two a week, um, because there's a lot more to get through. So um, we're glad we're back. I hope you're glad we're back. Eric's glad we're back. Um, I, I went through some uh, kidney stone surgery, and it was terrible. And uh, My dad had some stuff going on. So it's been a rough ride at the end of uh, 2020, but 2021's looking good. So thanks, everybody, for listening. Um, and I think this episode's coming to a close, and that's a wrap. And cut. From William Shakespeare, Richard III, a small excerpt. The line reads, he has come to open the Purple Testament of bleeding war. And for Lieutenant William Fitzgerald A Company, 1st Platoon, the testament is closed. Lieutenant Fitzgerald has found the Twilight Zone.